the shame around who I was as a person. I wasn't particularly proud of who I was. This isn't the person that I wanted to be. This isn't the thing that I wanted to do. This isn't the way that I want to look. Your mixtape's been picked up by Skrillex. You're playing all these huge shows on the surface, amazing for you, but on the inside, you're just suffering sad. And surprise, surprise, everything fell apart. Sometimes people are like, I don't feel motivated. I tell them, like, maybe you haven't hit rock bottom. What do you think the world that we live in would be like if Jesus turned water into mushrooms? <laughs> I think the major issue with it is essentially a... G'day and welcome to The Polarizing Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ramondo, and it brings me great joy to welcome our guest today, Brandon. Brandon Wilco Willington is a dynamic and multifaceted individual. On one hand, he's made headlines for his unconventional antics, including being banned from hotels, making dramatic exits from rewards nights, where he was honored, to surviving near-death experiences whilst DJing on the stage, one of which I've personally witnessed. His journey into the spotlight began when his DJ mixtape gained significant online attention, catching interest of big names like Skrillex. On the other hand, he's a celebrated entrepreneur, achieving finalist status for the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, growing his agency from zero to seven figures in three years, and expanding a DJ school to five locations across three cities. Brandon's proven dedication is also highlighted by his participation in bodybuilding and boxing tournaments. As a friend, I have an immense amount of respect for him and I very much look forward to watching him knock his opponent, Luke and Wong, unconscious at the Perth Corporate Rumble this Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brandon Kilco Willington. That was a really good intro. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Thank you. Brandon, for Halloween two years ago, you dressed up as a bag of cocaine. Yep. You then updated your publicly visible Instagram profile picture to you in that very outfit for the world to see. What does it feel like to identify as a bag of cocaine? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Why'd you do that? Well, <clears throat> radical transparency is kind of one of my guiding life principles. I borrow it from Ray Dalio from his book Principles. I remember it was one of the, back when I was reading a lot, it was one of the early books that I read. It's basically, I don't know if you've read it or if I gave it to you, but um, it's basically a bunch of principles for work and life. And the one, there were two that stood out to me most. The first one was accept reality and deal with it, which is the very first chapter. And there was another one, which was radical transparency. And people know what I'm like, right? Um, people know what I was like as a DJ. They know what I'm like now. I don't try and hide anything. And I kind of like embracing that. And I have this... I, I say it a lot and it, my friends are probably sick of me saying it, but like people are only disappointed when their expectations don't meet reality. And so people always know what to expect from me. So they're never disappointed in me. Um, and it, it's a bit like that scene from, <laughs> it's a bit like that scene from Eminem, you know, the last bit where he just starts dissing himself. He's like, hey, I'm wide, I'm trash, I'm broken, all this stuff. And the guy has nothing to use against him. Because he's already outed everything. The guy has no ammo left. So no one has any ammo on me ever. <laughs> because I've already called out all of my flaws on the internet for everyone to see. No one has any ammo. I've, I'm completely undefeated in the internet argument space. I, as someone that's been observing your journey for quite some time now, I would say that's, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. I have actually have a quote of here, which I'm going to paraphrase. It's, your, it's a quote of yours. Oh. Uh, and I think this sums up, and you kind of just alluded to it. I've set the bar so low with myself publicly 
that everyone expects the bare minimum of me. And thus, anything that I do which exceeds that low bar, people are pleasantly surprised with. <laughs> yeah, that's another really good way of putting it as well. It's just- I- <laughs> So, was it the Ray Dalio and the reading of that book? What was the book called, sorry? Uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. So, when you were reading Principles by Ray Dalio, did that, that quote in which I've just repeated back to you, was those thoughts fomented, formed- uh, whilst reading that book? No, I was actually already kind of like this. I always had a self-depreciating sense of humor. And then when I read that, it really kind of resonated with me and kind of solidified it. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm already doing that, so I'll kind of keep doing that. Um, so it was it more kind of affirmed what how I already kind of was. And would you say that when, if we go back to when you were a bit younger, were you always this radically transparent like say high school, for example. Um, high school, I didn't have as much to be transparent about, <laughs> um, but I think I was always like this in a way. In high school, I was pretty extroverted. Um, yeah, I actually was pretty transparent in, in high school as well. It's not like I had like I was doing the things that I'm doing now, like or when I was working in nightlife, or even now as well, but. Yeah, I definitely was more open and transparent about even like girlfriends and things like that. Yeah. And if we, on the theme of you dressing up in costumes, if we go back maybe 13, 14, I don't know the exact year, yeah. we weren't friends then, you dressed up as Batman? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's uh, that story? Not many people know that. Batman's arguably my favorite movie of all time. And so- Christopher in, Nolan Batman? Yeah, yep. yeah. In year 12- um, I was playing, t- was it fourths soccer, which is the bottom team. Nice. And it was just everyone in that team did not want to do sports at all, but we just did that one because we liked the coach and he was easy on us. And so that was when the Dark Knight came out. <laughs> and so we were all dressed up as, as Batman or not all, actually not all, two of us were dressed up as Batman. Like to play, to play the soccer yeah, game. Yeah, like in like the actual games too. That's amazing. Like, <laughs> Like no one care because it's fourth soccer. Like who gives a shit? Um, and yes, yeah, so <laughs> I played the whole season in a Batman costume. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then there was another on the topic of costumes. Your younger self, somewhat uh, predicting the outcomes of your <laughs> later life. There was a story that you shared on your Instagram, I think a week or two ago, which involved uh, cigar and yeah. girls not talking to you. I, I can't remember exactly. Oh, uh, was this one I dressed up as Tony Montana? Yes, I think I believe so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I dressed up as Tony Montana from Scarface in Year Ten. That was my other favorite movie as a as a teenager was Scarface. I have a bunch of Scarface memorabilia. I've I've at age fifteen I bought a signed piece of memorabilia with uh, like Al Pacino's signature and his uh, a certificate of authentication. Is one of twenty in the world. I've still got it. Obviously, it's very <laughs> like valuable. Um, and I went to the year 10 social. It, it was a dress up social. So it wasn't that no one was dressing up, but no one was dressed up like a cocaine drug dealer um, with a complete with, I had the suit. I didn't have a gun, but I had a, oh wait, did I? I think I had a replica gun. Um, and then I had a cigar, which I rolled up some paper and some cotton. And then I had a bag of flour and I dipped the flour all over my like lapel. And, so, <laughs> and that's how, that's why girls probably didn't talk to me. <laughs> when, when you think about that choice of outfit and that costume that you wore to that year 10 social mm-hmm. and you think about your 
weekends, weeknights yeah. as, uh, what are you, 26, 27, 27 now? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts? Do you think that the man that you've become today was deep-seated in your creation as a person and you were dressing up, as, in a sense, as yourself at the age of 15 as the man that you are today. I actually think there's definitely a correlation, not just with me, but with anyone. There's an interesting interview question I always ask in job interviews, and hopefully no one's watching this is going to do a job interview with me soon because I'm going to give away the spoiler, but I always ask what their favorite movie was as a child because it's always a really good indicator that you'd like to see yourself as the main character. So mine's Al Pacino and Tony and Tony in Scarface and Batman. Yep. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to pick two movie characters that I grew up to try and be, it's, it's those two, right? Um, so I definitely think there's, there's something there because I always like kind of one of my, I have a bunch of guiding principles, obviously, but one of them is just like, I want to do things so that my younger self, like, you know, that that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. <laughs> you know, if I talk to like 15 year old version of me, it's like, hey bro, you got to do all this stuff. You do this, 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 this is what your girlfriend looks like. This, this, this. I'm like, that's fucking sick. <laughs> we had a good chat when I was trying to improve the hiring process, my agency around that very question. It's a question that I've incorporated into my interview process cool. as well. I think it's it's brilliant. And one thing that you did mention when you were talking me through the rationale as to why you ask someone what their favorite movie is, is to get a deeper understanding of their psychology, but also to kind of weed out the red flags in terms of their, their personality profile. Yeah. So, an example that you gave me was, Paul, if you are interviewing someone and they say that their favorite movie is the wolf of wall street <laughs> probably a red flag yeah why why'd you say that yeah i think we the, the story behind that is we were looking for like a digital ad specialist and we figured out that we can't hire like it's we not that you can't but generally speaking hiring entrepreneur types for the bad idea yeah for employee roles is a bad idea because they're, they're not going to feel fulfilled they're going to undermine you they're going to work on their own thing when you're not looking at their screen and things like that it's happened before. Um, and so, <laughs> we were joking like, man, imagine if he said Wolf of Wall Street. Bro, I'm not shooting you. This guy didn't even blink or think about the question. He just instantaneously said, <laughs> said Wolf of Wall Street. I was like, oh my God. And so, yeah, it just, it's not that there's anything particularly bad with it, but like in the, given the context, I'm trying to hire like an internal employee and not someone that wants to, you know, build a giant empire. I don't think the person that wants to build a giant empire is going to be particularly happy in, I agree. In just an internal team member role. It's just some people are meant to be entrepreneurs. Some people are meant to be team members or entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call them. Just pick the one you want to do. What would be a good movie? It's hard to say. Um, really, what this is more looking for red flags rather than going, oh, yeah, that's that, the, the, the movie was about being a digital ad specialist. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> it's, it's basically like- I mean, my favorite movie is The Social Network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always like, okay, that's an odd one. Like it's it's mainly bringing up red flags rather than confirming it. And it's also just an interesting insight. There's only been that one time where I didn't hire someone and that was a major contributing factor. It's always just a nice insight into what people like or how they'd like to see themselves yep. more. And then we go, okay, cool. Yeah, I can see. That's That's cool. So, we've taken a bit of a trip down your formation story. We started with a recent Halloween costume, then we moved to a year 10 social costume. I want to dial the clock back a little bit more. And I want to talk about you being an only child. <laughs> so, it's no secret that people that know you 
know that you're an only child. <laughs> so much so that the fact is incorporated in your Instagram ha- handle, yeah. Wilco dot n lee child wilco only child <laughs> you're laughing at this now and i i found humor in writing it my question is why do you find this funny i think i find it funny because one of my strong traits is i'm very self-aware so to give you an example um i started working with a sports psychologist like three or four weeks about a month ago and he was doing like the initial like kind of diagnosis thing which is essentially just asking me questions about my life really in depth and um he asked about family life and I go, yeah, like really good family life. You know, I'm an only child. And then just, I had this slip of the tongue where I was like, yeah, it really shows. And then being, you know, a psychologist, she was like, what do you mean by that? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and I was like, well, how do I start? I was like, there's definitely like a selfishness there. There's like a, like neediness there. There's a, you know, there's all this, th- these things that I want. Um, if I like circle back as a, child like an only child is typically pretty spoiled for like attention and also just like resources um but also because i was the only child i was pretty overprotected and so as soon as i got out of that protection i was like wow i'm in the big open world i can do whatever i want right um and so there was that there and then he went through this process for an hour and talked about some other stuff too and he was trying to map out where we're going to go and like my psychology and all this stuff and all the sessions and it was really cool and he goes he paused for a moment he goes there's something else i want to work on and he goes and he paused and I realized later he was trying not to insult me. He goes, there's like a neediness there underneath you. I was like, he's like, does that resonate? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, in what way? I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, more clarifying question from the psychologist. I was like, yeah, like the whole DJ thing was definitely like an attention seeking thing. There's a lot of things I just do for attention, you know, because, you know, you get all the attention as the only child and, and now I'm out in the wild world and you've got to kind of figure out how to get it yourself. Um, yeah, mum and dad aren't around right now, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah exactly. I get the attention. Yeah, yeah, they just rock up on Sundays and we go to lunch and stuff or dinner and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I find it funny just because I'm I'm self aware of what I am like as a person. <laughs> Grew up no siblings. Do you wish that you had siblings growing up? Not really. I'm kind of happy with how things turned out. You want all the attention to yourself. Yeah, that. And like, I, I wouldn't like, I get asked sometimes, like if I was to go back, would I change anything? I wouldn't change anything, like anything in my life. It was like, everything happened for a reason. You either pick a lesson or you get taught one. Um, so whatever happened, happened. And do you think that if you had a sibling or a few siblings, it would have changed you as a person? Yeah, probably. I think, yeah, definitely that would be a major contributing factor. I don't know. I don't know if it would be a, I mean, it's subjective if it was, it'd be a good or a bad outcome. Um, it, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have the drive that I have now. Um, I probably wouldn't have been su- as successful with the DJ thing and that kind of underpinned everything else. Because yeah. you probably didn't need as didn't much need attention. That, didn't need that attention. Yeah, that would be, that would be the major thing. Yeah. Um, probably would have, wouldn't have been as like impulsive when I'm going out because I was, you know, like when I when I was a when I was like a, in high school, I wasn't meant to have a girlfriend till I was like twenty one. Like that was the rule. I got my first girlfriend at fifteen. I got, Whose rule? Oh, was like mum's rule and, and dad's rule. I wasn't allowed a girlfriend until I was like twenty one. That was the rule. And then I found out I had a girlfriend at fifteen. I got in so much trouble. Holy shit! It was a big deal. That was probably the most trouble. Like they took all your toys away from you. Or- <laughs> yeah, it was like a big deal. Um, 
being like a, disappointed like you brought disgrace to our yeah, family yeah, basically yeah and then um yeah so I, I wouldn't have probably wouldn't have done that but because i was obviously like pretty well protected as soon as i got out of that i went to university i was like oh you don't need to actually go to classes you can just go if, if you want i can just hang out in the like club room and just like talk to girls is fucking sick <laughs> they just not go to class i spent more t- there was like one semester i spent literally more time sitting in exam halls failing than i actually did like in classrooms did you finish uni no what when did you drop out uh 2016 so you were there for two years three three yeah and it was a four-year degree <laughs> i think it was a three-year degree why not just finish it i don't really need it like I kind of figured out pretty quickly that I was like, this isn't really for me. Uh, I was kind of just doing it as I meant to do it. Like I was doing a double degree in business information systems and technology. And then I didn't like the technology bit. So I did a single degree in business information systems. And I was like, I don't even like this. And, so, <laughs> and then I did uh, event, was it event management? And then I realized I was already doing event management and promotions. And then I was like, this is all completely irrelevant. I got in an argument with the lecturer like as I was doing my presentation, which was meant to be a group presentation, but I had to do it by myself because I was never at class to form a group. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I got in an argument with them and then I was like, this is bullshit. And so I, like, I left afterwards and I dropped out. Like I like walked out of the class around the corner down the hallway and I dropped out. I think I postponed. I can't remember if I dropped out. I think I still have like maybe two or three years to finish the degree. <laughs> so I think the credits roll over for like a decade. Was that a moment where you were like, I see through the veil of this BS and I don't agree with anything that you're saying as a lecturer. Like I respect your position. However, like I'm literally running my own events. I'm doing my own promotions. It was, um, yeah, it was definitely like a major catalyst. I was like, I'm going to make this DJ thing work. And then like a couple months later, the mixtape thing happened, (laughs) kind of worked out. Um, But yeah, mom, mom was just like, she was like, yeah, this is DJ thing looks like it's kind of working for you. Um, to see how so, mum was less mortified about you dropping out of uni than what she was of you having a girlfriend at 15. <laughs> yeah, she actually was. Because at that point, the DJ thing was kind of taking off. Um, and she, she could tell that I wasn't really interested in it. But, like, obviously, like, being, like, an only child and one of your parents is Asian, like, I was expected to be a lawyer, a president, or the first a, a lawyer, a doctor, or the first president of Australia, <laughs> and I dropped out and became a DJ. <laughs> and so, and so that was a little bit weird at first, but then it kind of worked out. But yeah. So, what was your relationship like with mum and dad growing up? Yeah, good. It was close. Um, like my, I'd, I've had a really good relationship with my parents. It's never. I think I've only ever seen them fight like once. My dad didn't even drink. I think I can. I can count on two fingers the fucking number of drinks I've ever seen him drink in his entire life. Um, you think that's a good thing? Yeah, I think so. Oh, uh, I don't know. Because then you, then you have that like analogy too where like you've got you got a dad that drinks and then he's got two sons and one of them always drinks because he just sees that's what his dad does and, and the other one doesn't drink because he saw what it did to his dad. It's like, which one are you going to be? It's kind of a little bit of a roll of the dice. And it's just up to how those two different sons interpret it. Who knows, right? So if we think about your, say this politely, abusive yeah. alcohol yeah. over the years, many nights in which I've witnessed firsthand. Yeah. Do you think that your dad not drinking had an influence on you going the complete opposite? Yeah, perhaps. It'd probably be, it'd definitely be a contributing factor, I think. Um, but obviously, the other thing as well is the environment that I was just in. It was just fucking really easy to drink all of the time. It was like literally unlimited. Like I could not run out of alcohol. And I, I, we all figured out I did better at my job when I was drinking. And so I literally got rewarded for drinking more. 
Um, Just provide a bit of context for those that don't know that part of your formative creation story. Give us the highlight reel of your DJ career and how it led to your proclivity to abuse alcohol. (laughs) So, basically, I got fired from my first job out of high school because um, I was IT support at like the school I graduated from, Trinity. And then I was DJing a friend's 18th birthday and a bunch of photos went up where because like we just graduated and I was working at the school I just graduated from. And so we were still friends like on Facebook with like the kids that were like a year underneath us. And then some photos went around where I was DJing this, my friend's birthday party. Um, and I clearly was not sharing the nearly empty bottle of vodka. And I was wearing a shirt that said sex, drugs, dubstep. And all these students, a bunch of them, we took their laptops in to service them and a bunch of them had it as like their wallpaper on their school laptops. You're their hero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then anyway, I got like, I got sent home. They're like, we need to figure out what we can do with you because like clearly you can't like, it's not your fault, but you can't separate your work and personal life. And then I just ended up like quitting before they could fire me. Um, and that was really kind of the genesis for my entire brand. <laughs> it was like the villain origin story for this thing. And then anyway, I started playing some clubs and I just did one thing leads to another thing. And then I was like promotions manager, arcade nightclub. And so my whole job was just to be the fun party guy that, you know, guys and girls would know. And I'd buy them drinks and we'd party and all this bullshit. And I was like resident DJ Metropolis Fremantle for was it two or three years? I think three years. So I was playing the main room to like hundreds of people every Saturday night from like 10 a.m. to whenever I got drunk enough and I told the next person to go on. I think I got paid for five hours, but I was playing like two. <laughs> it was it was quite the, you had quite the cult following yeah. as a DJ. Yeah. Um, to the point where I still see stories of people at metros now. I mean, granted, you're the one sharing them, but yeah. I see people that go to metros now and they are nostalgic and long for <laughs> Wilco to DJ again. Yeah, th- I mean that that naturally happens with, with a you. lot of with, <laughs> a, with a lot of DJs. So it's not like that's a, an isolated event to me. But um yeah, I definitely had like a little bit of a cult following um just f- because of the radical transparency and you know there was no real bullshit behind it and it was funny and all this stuff so it was kind of fun to watch. Um and yeah, that whole time obviously DJs get like free drinks and mine was, I've said this on so many different podcasts, I get a $250 bar card, which buys 22 and a half tequila shots. So I'd get all those shots at the start of night in cups, stack them up. I put them under the DJ booth and I just do a shot every now and then. And then I also got like a bottle of vodka, 12 double blacks, six Red Bulls and a bottle of orange juice. And I, I didn't bring really anyone. Well, that's not entirely true, but I didn't bring many people on stage. So I'm not, and I'm an only child. So I'm not sharing this either. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we just figured out that like, I was just, and the other thing as well is we figured out if I was sober, I wasn't good because I was overthinking it. I was just like thinking about my set too much, but if I was hammered, which I was, I was, I was good and fun to watch as well. Um, and so I would always just get rewarded in my own head for just drinking more. And then you keep raising the bar because your tolerance goes up, right? Do you think that by drinking that the amount of alcohol, and obviously tolerance is going up every, every single night and doing it a few nights a week or at least once a week. Do you think that increasing the bar for you mm. allowed you to, and when you were in drunk, it allowed this kind of flow state for you whilst you're on stage rather than, because you're, you're extremely, for those that don't know Brandon, extremely analytical mind. And, uh, and I say this with respect, I suspect, which I'd like to dive in more, mildly autistic. <laughs> and I say that in, in the best way possible. And 
do you think that because your mind is always, it's always systems, it's always processing, it's always like, oh, well, how does this work? Why does that do that? Do you think that by turning the brain off with all that alcohol, it allowed you just to flow and be? Interesting you bring this up because my sports psychologist just taught me about this last week. So <clears throat> neuroscientists would argue that in the brain, there are two brains. There's the thinking brain and the being brain. The being brain developed first. It's more priv- primitive. The reptilian side of it. Yeah. It's much larger as well physically. And the thinking brain, which takes up about the front little bit there. <clears throat> the thinking brain is developed earlier, sorry, um, more recently, and it's developed from like the modern society that we're in. It can process 4,000 bits per, of information, I think, per second. How many bits of information do you think that the being brain can process? Uh, I would say probably more. I think it's about 40 billion. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> and so what happens is when you're in your thinking brain too much, you can only pro- you only have so much processing power. And when you tap into your being brain, you unlock this unlimited seemingly potential. unlimited processing power. And that's and being and my sports psychologist actually told me being drunk actually puts you into your being brain more. And that's why people that can are trying to learn languages, if they're drunk, they can actually speak them fluently. Right. <laughs> That's fascinating. Because they're not overthinking it. Of course. And so when I was when I was drinking heaps, I wasn't I was always in flow state and I was being playful too, which was a contributing factor to flow. And so because I was being playful and I was drunk, I was always in a constant flow state. My set slapped. I grew up seeing you play many times. And when you're was, inebriated, they do slap. Yeah. But if I was sober, I'm like, fuck, is that gonna work? Uh, overthinking it. I remember the first night I was actually the resident there, and then I was Jeff told me not to drink. He's like, this is very important that you get this right. Like Jeff being like the booking agent. Okay. Yes. He's like, don't drink tonight. And then Chris, who was shooting the night, came up with two double bucks. She said, Jeff told you to drink these. Because <laughs> I think Jeff was sitting upstairs or something. It's like, and he I- is bombing this set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was just like overthinking and I was like too anxious. And then I had those two double bucks. Like, Jeff told me very specifically a lot of times, don't drink on your first night. And then he's like, fucking drink these. <laughs> <laughs> so on the flow thing, so there are a lot of variables that need to happen in order for you to be able to unlock that flow state. And as someone that's obsessed with finding flow in my everyday life and my work mm-hmm. uh one of the variables in order to unlock the flow is it needs to be a task in which you're somewhat proficient at but is just outside yeah. your area of uh, ability so it needs yeah. to be just a bit harder than what you can do to unlock that so do you think that by increasing the amount of alcohol every single set that you played that alcohol was the thing that was helping you achieve that flow state ironically because the more inebriated you get the bit harder it would get for you to play yeah now that you ask the question i i think without knowing i kind of did that there's it's not the only thing though the only thing too is your alcohol tolerance goes up so it just takes more alcohol to enjoy yourself um but i definitely did kind of it's funny now you ask i've realized i i definitely did in the moment go how fucked up could you get and keep going (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I have this weird kind of pride in like you're on your hands and knees and still counted a four, four times and made this song and this song go together. So there was this weird pride with that too, where I was just kind of like prideful that I could just do it really fucked up. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting assessment of like the, what is it? Skills to challenge balance. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Now I alluded to before that um, I have a sneaky suspicion that you might be slightly autistic. And this is also something you've told me 
jokingly, mm. semi-serious, but largely overtones of joke, um, <laughs> that you're mildly autistic. And it wasn't until you said that to me, I haven't mm. told you this before, so it wasn't until you said that to me that I then had a newfound sense of appreciation for you as a human being. I began to understand you more as I'm quite social and I think I can read uh, social cues quite well. And I would always be thrown aback, especially not so much, not these days, but when we were first becoming <laughs> friends, I questioned a number of times whether you actually liked me and why you were hanging out with me because I'd rock up like, hey man, how are you? And you're like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And like, we'd just like- either disheveled or uh, disheveled rather or disinterested. It was just like weird. <laughs> and then it'd take you a while to warm up, especially if you weren't drinking. Like yeah. if you were drinking, you were a lot more social, yeah, your battery yeah. was charged. But yeah. if we caught up with each other for a coffee or for a business meeting, yeah. it would be, I'd have to work on you for about 25 <laughs> minutes to warm you up. And then I'd be like, okay, no, I think he does like me. <laughs> and then you invited me on tour to Broome, we'll call it a tour. You invited me on tour to Broome. I was like, oh no, okay. I think Brandon thinks, I, I, Brandon's my friend. Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, and then it wasn't until maybe six months after that where I think it was your girlfriend who made a joke about it. Then you shared that joke with me about you being autistic. And then I was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. <laughs> like, he's he's actually been my friend all along and he has he's liked me all along. But he's just a bit challenged when it comes to the socialization side of things. So, I would like your thoughts. Yeah, I get that a lot. Like, we had, um, we had this running joke at Arcade where- Oh wow! Yeah, now I think about it. That makes sense. We had this running joke. <laughs> we had this running joke at arcade where, like, if I was just grumpy at the front of like the club, they're like, "Is Brandon alright?" It's like, "Yeah, he just hasn't had his drinks yet." And I just didn't want to talk to anyone. I was like, "Fuck, why am I here?" Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I was like, look down at my feet and things like that. Um, yeah, so that definitely makes sense. And now there's countless different similar stories that I can think of now where people thought I just did like, I'm actually a really nice guy. Oh, I, I can guarantee Brandon <laughs> is one of the most of lovely people. human beings. I think, I think people are put off side by, this is my opinion, um, from my observations, people don't, people that are offside with you don't know you well enough and they've yeah. only got a few reference experiences with meeting you in passing for five or so minutes mm. that they're like, oh, he's not very warm. He's not very friendly. Yeah. And I'm like, that is completely untrue. Yeah. You've just got to give Brandon some time. I've gotten that so much now that I think about it. I've got so many examples where like friends of friends told the friend and then the friend told me, it's like, were you like rude to them or something? I was like, no, I, I really liked them. <laughs> I was like, I thought they were a really nice couple. Or like, I thought they were a really nice guy. Um, <laughs> We've even had those conversations. Like, yeah. like did you like them? Yeah, they were great. I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, I was privy to that conversation. It did not look like you liked them at all. <laughs> yeah, I get along with everyone. Um, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, do you think that uh, being slightly autistic is a superpower? To a degree, it depends. Like everything, everyone has their own traits, and it's really up to you how you want to utilize them and things like that. I don't know if I call it a superpower, but it's something that is definitely worth bringing into consciousness so that you can. At least just be aware of it. And then <laughs> you have situations like that. But I was like, oh no, it's just like who I am as a person. I actually really like you. <laughs> I just look down a lot. Do you think that it helps you when you go on a, a hyper-focus round? Yeah, that's definitely like one. Because for, for everyone that doesn't know Brandon, Brandon will hyper-fixate on things and then hyper-focus on those things until he's completed that task. So, for example- he built 
a new business in the space of an evening. He, we were talking about it the afternoon, that afternoon, and then he goes home. And then I observe in his Instagram story that he's basically spent all night just <laughs> building landing pages, building the systems behind the business. I can't remember which one this was. And then in the morning, I think you stayed up most of the night and then in the morning you had a fully functional landing page. I think this was, um, uh, I think you had been at the Star Awards and this was teaching people uh, how to build and a more effective OnlyFans business. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did that like overnight. That was pretty easy. <laughs> and you just had this idea and then you just like hyper fixated and hyper focused on it, didn't sleep and you did it. Do you, yeah. Does that happen a lot with you? That happens a lot. There's, <laughs> and I realize it more and more, um, that theme of hyper obsessing with something until it's done and then it's moving on to the next thing carries over like a lot. Like I know we'll talk about the bodybuilding thing, this boxing thing you know like little businesses and like oh that worked and then you know um <laughs> that theme carries over a lot like someone said to me the other day uh oh, the other week i was meant to be running and so rather than going for a run i did hill sprints for 30 minutes and like injured myself basically and then, <laughs> and then my coach was like yeah fucking hell i didn't tell you to do that but like you really don't do anything in halves do you and he said that i don't know why but it stuck with me i was like oh yeah i was like i haven't yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned uh, yeah. bodybuilding and boxing. I mm -hmm. think it's a perfect segue. I have a photo of you that I took about four years ago. <laughs> I'm going to show you this photo. <laughs> In this photo, you were clinically obese. You yep. had lost some weight at this point. You weren't yep. at your heaviest. Yep. The photos, I have a few photos from that day, and I've seen them recently, so they weren't as shocking to me. But yep. when I stumbled upon them about a year ago- yeah. Uh, about this time last year when you just competed in a bodybuilding tournament, I was quite shocked because I had forgotten <laughs> how humongous you were. <laughs> uh, you were north of 100 kilos. Yep. You were 35% body fat. Yep. And by this time last year, you'd gained 10 kilograms of lean mass. You'd lost 40 kilograms of fat. Yep. And you walked onto a bodybuilding competition stage. Covered head to toe in fake tan <laughs> at 74 kilograms and 6% body fat. Something like that, yeah. Why not just stay obese? <sighs> I didn't really like it. <laughs> I mean, like, it's one of those things where it's like death by a thousand cuts. Like, you don't actually, because you look at yourself every single day, you don't notice these like incremental changes. But I was getting like really, really big and just didn't know it. And like, my dad and like parents were making jokes like, you look like Elvis before he was about to die. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> Seth's laughing. <laughs> and, then, and then eventually I just realized like, wow, yeah, you're actually like really, really out of shape. Um, and then it was around the time where like, I had like all these, like all of these health problems. Like I was taking like liver support tablets because of the alcohol, which were, Literally and metaphorically a hard pill to swallow because they're like that fucking big. They're fucking big. Um, and so I was taking these liver support tablets and then like a PT cold, cold. And, you, and you were still drinking your face off and you because you were still DJing at this point, right? Yeah. I think I stopped for like two weeks because the doctor told me to because I had to get wait for the yeah, like- You stopped drinking for two weeks. Yeah. They had to wait for the liver functionality results to come back. Um, and it was like, please don't. We don't know how bad this is. And so I was taking these liver support tablets and then I was still drinking, but it's like a little bit less. And then my rider got cut down. So I was not drinking as much. And then everyone- Just knew that you were um, yeah, yeah. a bit sick. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
as a result of my rider getting cut down, everyone else's rider got cut down as well. And it's all of my fault. Like substantially too. So it's my fault. Sorry, Capital Corp DJs. Um, but like, uh, yeah. And then I, but to answer your question, like why not stay obese? Like I just wasn't happy being obese, right? I had no energy. I could, could literally, like if I wasn't DJing, I was literally just like, passed out on the couch. That was literally all I was doing. Like my girlfriend at the time would get mad at me because she's just like, you just sleep on the couch all the time. I didn't have any energy to do anything else at all. So your life was just basically wake up uh, in the late afternoon, yep. uh, eat some food, start pre-drinking, yep. have some orange juice and vodka, yep. and then go play sets. Yep. Come back, pass out, do it again. I do that like five nights a week. Um, and then the other two days I was just like coming in and out of sleep for two days. And so, yeah, obviously I wasn't happy doing that. I was pretty miserable the later years of me DJing or the middle part as well. Because you went, when you were DJing, you went through a period of like euphoria and bliss. Like, yep. this is amazing. Yeah. I'm so cool. Yep. This is ticking all the boxes that my ego <laughs> needs. Yep. Um, I'm getting all the attention. Yep. My mixtape's just being picked up by Skrillex. Yep. My mixtape's just been picked up by Skrillex again. <laughs> yeah. uh, fuck you to everyone that told me I couldn't do it. Yep. Like, I've just dropped out of uni. I'm making, like, being a successful DJ a thing. Yep. Were you happy? No, I was pretty miserable. <laughs> it was like, there was a period of time where, like, all of that was doing really well. And then after the mixtape and stuff kind of subsided and I was just, you know, just doing the DJ stuff, like at metros and doing some regular nightclub work. I think I'd, I'd peaked, like, I definitely peaked and then I was just like trying to chase that again. I just couldn't get there. I've talked about this on like a different podcast before where there's a book and I wish I remembered the name, but it's basically how you go through like seasons of life and particularly artists, they'll peak somewhere in like their early twenties and then they kind of drop down and they're always trying to chase that peak again and they can never get back to it. And so the, the solution is just move on to another mountain and try and peak that one, but they just keep trying to do the one that's behind them. Um, and so for me, like I, I just reached the end of that season. And so I was like, there's literally nothing else that I want to do at all. I can't think of anything that I want to do. I was just doing the same set every single fucking night. And I was just miserable because it was just the same thing. I had no energy in it. I had no passion in it. Like the last couple of months that I was DJing, I downloaded literally six songs. I can count them. Um, and I was just like, just didn't want to do it anymore. And so I had, I was just putting all my energy into something that I had literally had like no purpose or drive or desire to do for like any amount of time ever. And so that was just why I was just miserable. I was just like pointed in the wrong direction. So what was the turning point? Like short, so if I think about me yeah. and if like the heaviest that I've been is 94 kilos and that was after I'd done a huge cut and then I just ate a bunch of food and ballooned out. And I remember I was probably about 23, 24. And it was like 94.5 kilos was the heaviest I got up to. But, like, I had a lot of muscle. I wasn't, like, obese by any means, but I was still, like, I got up to, like, a 35-inch waist. And yeah. I remember looking at myself in the mirror and being, like, you're disgusting. Mm. I hated it. And then that was, for me, that was, like, no more. Like, I'm not, I'm I'm dieting again. I'm getting back down. Like, what was the point of no return for you? Like, when were you, like, enough is enough. I'm fixing this. Yeah, it was generally a health thing in, in, in whole. It wasn't just about the weight thing. Um, but for me, it was just starting to go to the gym. Like, like, um, Joe just who's the PT was PT stadium fitness, just cold, cold me. And I was like, it was like right after, um, I was like doing this liver support type. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so I just started going to that. Um, 
and then just wanted to like take care of myself more. That like that was definitely like the catalyst for me was when all this like liver support shit was happening and um everyone was getting scared. Like they literally had like they told me a while later. They literally had like agenda meeting items. Like, is Wilco still okay this week? <laughs> like in the director meetings and stuff like that. Um, because I was always just fucking something different was happening every fucking week. I was getting in trouble for something or fucking something else happened. Um, and so for me, that was like the main catalyst was when all that was kind of like erupting. And do you think you were self-sabotaging on the DJ side of things? Put put the weight in a box over here. Yeah. Do you think that you were self-sabotaging on the DJ side of things by getting yourself into pick a menacing thing that you've gotten yourself into, or getting yourself into trouble, yeah. pushing limits? Do you think that you were doing these things so that you had no choice but to not DJ anymore because you felt like you'd hit that peak? Yeah, there was definitely like a couple moments where I was like, man, like, fuck this. Like, who cares? Like, fine me. I don't care. Um, like, even actually the mixtape was, I actually felt like I was at the end of my career and I was making this to kind of end it because I thought it was the worst mixtape ever. And then it went viral and had an incredibly counterproductive effect of what I was trying to achieve. Uh, but then it was like, oh, cool. I can do this thing now. Like, this is working out. Um, but yeah, there was definitely like a sense of like, Bro, like, who cares? Like, you're not doing this forever. You don't even fucking like this thing. Like, who cares? Like, and it was, it was a weird dichotomy of that. And like, I thought I was invincible. And so it was this weird balance where like, I can do whatever I want because I don't care. But also you're invincible. So nothing's going to happen. This is weird paradox. So when you started transforming your body, what did you learn about your brain? I learned where I learned where it likes to go when it doesn't want to go to the body because I'll give you a perfect example because this is more recent with the with the boxing thing. Um, I should have been doing physical training this one week, but instead what I did was just started learning about the neuroscience of like setting goals and focus and things like that. And then I texted my coach. I was like, should we try like this sensory anchoring thing or this thing here? And I sent him all this stuff and he ignored me and he goes, have you gone for a run today? I was like, no. He's like, go do, go do that. We'll talk about the other stuff later. And then because my brain was just comfortable going to what it's comfortable with, which is intellect. But it, So you're still like uh, 100 kilos in this story? <laughs> no, this is, this is boxing like recently, but like it's, it's just to kind of drive the point home. Yeah. Whereas like when the solution is like, do this comfortable thing, this, com- this uncomfortable physical thing, I'll just go to a comfortable intellectual thing. So here's a perfect example, actually. When I was trying to lose weight the most and I was actually the most consistent, first thing I did, I made the most elaborate Google sheet I remember that ever. Yeah, this thing was fucking sick. <laughs> you also built a lead banger around it and then <laughs> yeah. you built a list from, and like, so for everyone playing at home, when Brandon was uh, on track to go on stage at 6% body fat last year, he was documenting his journey on his Instagram and also like tabulating all of the data so that he could see trend lines and also see, okay, how much weight have I dropped this week? How much lean mass have I gained this week? Like, what's the trajectory if I keep this these calories consistent? Uh, and then it became, a, unsurprisingly, it became a hyperfixation of yours for at least a few weeks there. And then you went to the point of turning it into something that people could then- <laughs> download yeah and like implement themselves like this yep. is great yeah yeah it was definitely like because i was just doing all this physical stuff and i was like fucking hell i'm so sick of all this physical stuff my brain goes do some intellectual stuff you're good at intellectual stuff you're comfortable with intellectual stuff and so it is like did a heap of that stuff um yeah it's definitely interesting seeing where the mind naturally wants to go which is obviously comfort 
when it's uncomfortable. It will just find some excuse somewhere to do a comfortable thing and justify it. So if your brain is comfortable in the intellectual and experiences discomfort in the physical, what can you do to challenge yourself intellectually that makes you feel that would make that would flip the script for you? So what could you do intellectually that would actually make you want to train boxing instead of doing the intellectual thing? I don't know if it's intellectual, but a lot of it's just like self-awareness. Um, this is going back to like the thinking brain and the being brain. Like if I go too much in the thinking brain, I'm going to be overanalyzing how I need to be training this, that, and the other. The being brain would just be like, just get in the fight and then punch this other dude and try not to get punched. Um, so I think really it comes down to self-awareness, which like I said before, is kind of one of my strong points. Strong, not perfect. Um, and so a lot of it just comes down to self-awareness and just like observing your own thoughts. Journaling helps because you write it down and then it kind of takes it out of your head and onto a page and you can look at it detached. Um, so that's really where it comes down to is like self-awareness and just observing your own thoughts and going, huh, that's interesting that you wanted to do that because I think you've said it before as well and I've said it as well. It's like you can observe your own thoughts, therefore you're not your own thoughts. And so I think that's an interesting thought to consider because if you just... Most people don't sit in silence to just observe their own thoughts and where they go because they're just about going about the day and scrolling through their phones and things like that. But if you just sit down for like five or just five or 10 minutes and just go, hmm, what did you think about this week? And then just observe that and reverse engineer it. You'll get some interesting kind of discoveries. One, one thing that you've taught me that's been extremely helpful in my journaling practice has been the why paradigm. Yeah. You once gave me a custom printed Brandon Willington exercise book <laughs> and I was very grateful, so I'm very grateful. And this really, really drove the point home for me. This is years ago you gave it to me. Mm, right. And the whole book was basically a four pages, about yay big, yep. thick, thick boy. And it's basically like problem and then why and then blank space and then why and then yep. blank space and then why and then blank space and then why. And I'd like you to just run me through why <laughs> you set that journal up that way. Because it's simple enough that you can do it. I think people will overcomplicate a lot of the thought processes that when they try to unpack like who they are as a person. When you just you want to approach your own thoughts with like the curiosity of like a child, which is like when they ask you, like, why is the sky blue because of this? Why? 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 And then you just keep asking until this is, this, is nothing, this is just how it is, right? But you need to keep asking that why question because your your brain's going to give you this, the fastest answer, which is just the most surface level part of your sub of your consciousness. But you need to keep asking why to start getting out of your subconscious because as soon as you ask why, it's just going to go to the closest thing in the cabinet. But you need to keep digging around the back of the cabinet to get to the actual like root causes because if you just fix like a surface level problem, you're going to get a surface level solution. But then it's like having a house with like bad foundations. You can fix all the interior, but if you didn't put down like a solid cement foundation or whatever that makes the fucking foundations on the house. I don't know how to do houses. I don't know how to do this, bro. But like um, it, the interior doesn't matter. The whole fucking thing's going to fall apart if you give it to, like long enough. I want to finish up on the transforming of your body and the weight loss. What advice would you have for those listening who know that they need to make a drastic change in their life as it relates to their health and fitness? So I like, I've said this before. I think you've heard me say it. I like saying that humans are a lot like mice. They'll chase bits of cheese. If you give them a bump of Coke though, they'll probably take that as well. And they'll also run away from cats, right? 
And so you have towards and away from motivators. If you actually get a mouse and you tie a little bit of string to it and tie it to a little device that will measure how far, uh, like how hard it's trying to pull. If you get the smell of cheese at one end, it will pull pretty hard because it's trying to get the cheese. But if you waft in the smell of a cat behind it, it will tug a little bit harder. And so the cheese is out there somewhere and we're all trying to chase it, but the cat's absolutely behind you as well and it wants to ruin your fucking life. And most people aren't clear enough on what their cat is. And if they can get clear on the cat, they'll have a much stronger motivation. And also the cat's probably closer to you than you think, right? And so having the bits of cheese, like having a fucking six pack and being able to bench whatever, that's nice. It's theoretically out there in some direction, but the cat's probably closer to you and it's more terrifying. And so sometimes people are like, I don't feel motivated. I tell them like, maybe you haven't hit rock bottom yet. Or maybe you haven't got close enough that you really, really know what the cat looks like, right? And so that's what I would give you the advice. Sure, there's the counting calories and the exercise, pro- whatever, right? It's simple enough shit. But to actually do it, firstly, you need the bits of cheese, but more importantly, you need the cat. So spend a little bit more time kind of thinking about what the cat is for. you. It's going to be different for everyone. So basically, something to run towards and something very scary to run away from. Yeah, get really clear on what you're running away from. Like really clear. <laughs> like, And then keep asking why. Like, like, what happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? What happens if you keep doing this for 10 years, right? Um, yeah. It's like fear setting and goal setting combined. Mm-hmm. Yep. Something to run away from. Yours was, well, what happens if I keep drinking and then my liver fails? Yep, yep. Stuff like that. Okay, I want to change gears a little bit and get a bit esoteric. So, recently, I've been going down the rabbit hole of my own spiritual development, mm-hmm. learning a lot about a number of fascinating things to do with vibrational energy, states of consciousness, different frequencies, and everything in between. For those unfamiliar with levels of vibrational energies, they are sorted into a hierarchy, from low vibrations to high vibrations. And in order to ascend to a high level of vibrational energy, one must work past the internal challenges they face at lower energetic levels. So the levels of energies from highest to lowest, you've got enlightenment, think Buddha, joy, love, peace, gratitude, compassion, acceptance slash authenticity, willingness, reason, doubt, denial, fear, anger, grief, shame. Brandon, from the list that I've just outlined, can you describe to me what vibrational energy you believe you're in sync with when you were obese? It was all like fear and shame. Like I remember the first time I saw the map of consciousness maybe a year or two ago, probably two years ago. And I watched some like lectures on it. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And I was thinking of like what I was like in 2017, 2018. It was all like guilt and fear and shame and things like that. That's definitely like the state that I was in then. Um, and even just like every single like area of my life was, that was a kind of good reflection of like the stages that I was at. And what did you feel guilt and shame about? The guilt and shame was all around like, I didn't feel like I deserved this. I don't know why I'm doing this, like how I was when I was like in relationships. It was all just like that kind of stuff. Um, the the main thing was um, the, the shame around just like who I was as a person. I wasn't particularly proud of like who I was. That's where like the self-depreciating kind of sense of humor came from. Um, and so- that, yeah, it was just all like I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. This isn't the thing that I wanted to do. This isn't the like way that I want to look. And that's where it all really came from. And it was just like a whole, what was it 2018 to 2019? I was just like who I was as a person. Mm. I definitely noticed a big shift in 
because we've known each other for quite some time. Yeah. And I definitely noticed, uh, I think it was around COVID, so 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you, I started noticing you getting more serious about your training mm-hmm. and you're actually starting to take your health more seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think as the years progressed, especially over the past two years, I've noticed your vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's lifted. It's lifted on to a completely different playing field. Mm. You, your energy and just being around you, it's so much more charged. Yeah. And it's, I feel more energized when I'm around you compared to when I felt. Still enjoyed your company. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's just different. Mean. It's just different. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely because a lot of a lot of that was just finding like purpose and drive and actually like working towards something that I actually really really enjoyed. And like getting in better shape. It's like, oh, the scales are going down. That's really good. Like building a business. It's like, oh, like the team's building. That's awesome. And then you get more energy around that rather than like, oh yeah, I'm going to DJ this nightclub on Saturday that I don't even really fucking enjoy. Right. Um, so I had all this energy around the thing that I was doing just because I found something that I really, really wanted to do. And I had that, and I was just talking about the cat, but I also had that bit of cheese that I fucking really, really wanted. And I was just like doing anything to try and get it. Um, and like across the board, it just carries over into everything else, right? So I say like, look, if you're in like a a job that you hate, it's not like you your entire life turns around and you no longer have that job when you get home and hang out with your family and stuff like that. Like that's going to bleed over to that and it's going to affect the other areas of your life. And so you need to have everything kind of in alignment. Otherwise, they all kind of like bleed into each other to some degree, right? And if you're working in a job that you fucking hate, I don't know, I wasn't working in a nine to five, it was really a 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, it's going to show in like the other you know, hours that I was, you know, conscious. So, I mentioned that as one of the levels of vibration earlier that authenticity was one of them. Mm. And authenticity kind of sits at the same level of vibrational energy as acceptance or as Notion AI has told me. (laughs) It is the state of being true to oneself, embracing one's uniqueness and accepting one fully, oneself fully without judgment or pretense. Brennan, what does being authentic mean to you? It's kind of circling back to what we were talking about at the start, like transparency, right? Like everyone knows what to expect from me. There's nothing that I hide. Um, I, I don't lie to anyone. Like it's just, the, what the, it, I hate the saying, but what you see is what you get kind of thing, right? I have second that. Um, and so that, that's really where it comes from. Whereas before I was trying to be someone that I wasn't, like the whole brand, the Wilco brand thing. I mean, I kind of was that, but I was definitely like putting it onto a degree for you know, the engagement and things like that. Whereas now it's just like, yep, this, this is what I do. <laughs> it's just like, right, some of you just aren't going to like it. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. A bunch of you do. Great. I don't mind either way. Um, and so that's, that's really where I've been happiest. Whereas, you know, when I was doing the Wilco thing, it was, it was legit, but there was definitely like, you, I, you'd had to turn it up a bit. I remember I was actually teaching like a marketing course for DJs and I was like, yeah, be yourself, but like almost a caricature of yourself. And so you'd like turn things up. It was like, there's more girls in the thing. There's fucking a more emo, all this bullshit, right? Um, whereas now it's just like, yep, I wear black sweatpants. I wear the same pair of shoes for the last half decade. It's all the fucking same, right? People know what to expect from me. Um, and I'm, even like in business, like I'm not going to, I mean, it's probably bad business strategy, but like if you're working with like a really big corporate client or something, I'll come like this. Like, <laughs> if you don't want to work with me, you're probably not going to gel with me later. I don't want to have to pretend to be someone now and then pretend I had to be that person later if we decide to work together. Right? I totally agree. Yeah. I approach business the same. I think 
if you're going to have a problem with how I'm dressed mm-hmm. and I'm representing myself authentically because this is how I dress yep. and you're going to get hung up on something as superfluous as my clothing, yep. uh, that's a red flag for me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's going to spell a lot of potential issues and challenges that will come down the track. Yeah, exactly. And like part of the reason anyone starts a business is they want to be able to, they want freedom to be able to do whatever they want. And part of that is just being able to work with who you want. If you care enough about what I wear, I don't want to work with you, bro. <laughs> it's just like, that's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> what advice would you have to others that want to lead by example in their communities? The authenticity ones first and the transparency one, right? Because you can't lead people if you're trying to bullshit yourself because eventually the, the cracks show and they find that's like the little seams and shit in your armor. Um, and then the whole thing falls apart. You can't lead by example if you're not a good example yourself. And that being said, no one's perfect and people know that no one's perfect, right? So if you can embrace your own flaws, people can accept that too, right? But if you try and be this perfect caricature of godliness, eventually the crack show, right? Um, and so embracing that like authenticity and transparency, I think is, is pivotal above all else. Do you think that's why people are able to get cancelled? Because they're not being authentic. And when those cracks do start to show, yeah. the mob <laughs> comes after them because you weren't who you said you were. Yeah, that's that's definitely a part of it. Like they feel betrayed. And then there's also that like mob mentality. There's an interesting book I read. I'll give it to you. Um, year ago called the delusion of crowds and how like it's, it's just group think essentially is exactly how it works um yeah people just feel betrayed and then that that mob mentality sets in we're all going after this person the and, then, and, then, and then their identity forms around just being angry at this other person because they they don't have a strong enough identity in something else that they just they just need something right to, to kind of hang on to that's 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 probably definitely a contributing factor as well i'd agree mm. do you think that you can be cancelled try i own cancel wilco.com so you can buy, you literally you can buy it off me if you want <laughs> um yeah it's funny i was actually talking to um when was this i think we were driving back this is this is years ago now me and joseph were driving back from like taking photos of, like the institute which was the dj school and i think he had my mixtape onto the car and then we we're talking about my old brand he's like man you're lucky you like quit when you did because your brand would not survive like this this time. I was like, yeah, you're probably fucking right. But- you know, I sorry on that. I actually disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, I was actually going to get to that. Very yeah. much disagree because with how you held yourself online, it was very much what you see is what you get. The bar is set so low, <laughs> and the rhetoric from that caricature of you as a brand from you mm. was. What'd yeah. you expect? Yeah, it was literally like- I'm not going to say sorry. <coughs> like, I've been transparent about being this degenerate yeah. alcoholic DJ. Yeah. What did you expect? It was exactly what I was saying before, like that that scene from Eminem where he's just already called out all of his flaws. You got no ammo on me. You can't cancel what? I cancel myself. <laughs> so, that was definitely that. But yeah, I was, I was thinking, about, I was like, fucking hell, you did some shit. Like, I had the the- line of g-strings that i had and all this stuff i kind of got not sem- I, I didn't get cancelled i kind of got someone tried to i think i was speaking at some uni event and then the photo that they used was me and two strippers that had my 
name on the back of their G-strings and then someone got mad about it and so they photoshopped the image. I was like, is this it? Was 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 this whole? <laughs> the cancelled or censored? Yeah, yeah. cancelled or censored. I'm like, I was expecting so much more. <laughs> but yeah, there was, that, there was like that thing but like just, just looking back and I'm like, fucking hell, like you got away with a lot. But it was just all from that like authenticity, like so I, had, I had nothing to hide. And do you think, this is more of a macro comment, do you think, I feel like we are, the pendulum is swinging back into more of a homeostasis as it pertains to cancel culture, because it was pretty chaotic there for a few years. Mm. Do you think that cancel culture at its heyday would have been less prevalent if society is a large, the influences, the celebrities, the people with power in society had just been more honest about who they are. Yeah, that would definitely be it. I think <clears throat> because of how many fucking people have phones and how many people have social media and stuff like that, there's definitely that like urge to be like, fuck, everyone's looking. And it's that that guilt and shame, that like lower vibe stuff. And you, 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 you're you sitting there. Um, I think if people were just more honest, but nobody's perfect. We know that. Also, people do, do terrible things um, and, you know, they deserve to be punished for that. But I definitely think there's a degree that people are just, they're just too scared to show all their little flaws because all they see from everyone else is they're perfect. And then, and then all those people see is everyone else is perfect. And then it's just this self-perpetuating cycle where everyone's just trying to look perfect all the fucking time. Well, it's because Instagram and the way the internet's set up is everyone is, without, whether they know it or not, everyone's PRing themselves. Yep. Everyone is their own publicist. Yep. Everyone is- Playing the highlight reel of their life. Look at my life portfolio. Look how many cool things that I've yeah, done. Look at all the cool shit that I did that I thought was worth posting about and telling you. <laughs> so everyone's just PRing themselves. And then this is, yeah, so like I said, it's a self perpetuating cycle where everyone's just trying to be as perfect as everyone else is trying to look. Brandon, you once told me a story about driving on the freeway after a significant event had occurred. And in your heightened state of emotions, you made yourself a promise regarding a relationship that you desired. Fast forward to today, and that relationship has very much manifested itself into your reality. What was that story? <laughs> I can't remember what it, I can't remember the genesis thought for it, but I remember where I was. I was in an Uber driving down the freeway to Arcade, and I said, "Your next girlfriend is going to be an Eastern European alt girl." <laughs> Did it like not long after that? How much time had passed? Um, between that, like, I don't know, month or two. Right, I wanted to take a step back because I don't think we're doing this story enough justice. <laughs> so something had just, something serious had just happened and you're in a heightened, when you first told me the story, you're in a heightened state of emotion. So you're quite emotional. And I think you were, there was like elements of anger, you're like, fuck this, fuck that. And maybe you just gone through a breakup. Yeah, was it a breakup? I, I think have, you I've just gone through those, a breakup. So you have, you have. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I think I, I think it was. I just went through a breakup, and I was just like angry about the whole thing, and I felt like I just like wasted. I don't know a year or however long it was, and then I oh yeah, I was just like grumpy on the way to work at the time. Well, I, th- I don't even know if I was working there, but I was just, I was definitely going there anyway. And I was like, yeah, next girlfriend's gonna be an Eastern European alt girl. I think I just like saw like a really hot one on my Instagram <laughs> and I was like, like, that's what I want. I was like, one of those. Thanks. <laughs> be great. Yeah. And then how long, how much time had passed between you making that declaration to the universe, driving in that car and that heightened state of emotion and 
your girlfriend Katie walking into your life? Um, that's a good question. It was, a f- I think it was like two, maybe three months between me, des- <laughs> me deciding in my own head and uh, meeting her. How much do you think manifestation slash the law of attraction played in you and Katie meeting? It's definitely like that whole manifestation and the law of attraction thing is definitely something I'm always curious about, but I approach it with that level of like scientific rigor, like is this just confirmation bias and things like that. But there's just far too many examples in my own life where I've been like, oh yeah, like I desire that thing. And I think also the logical part of my brain wants to say, as soon as you kind of believe something and you think something, all of your other actions and thoughts are just going to point in that direction. And so it might not be that you manifest, uh, manifestation might not be the most accurate word, but you're definitely like pointing all of your energy and effort towards this thing. So by that logic, did you put a lot of effort and energy into looking at e-girls online (laughs) or finding out where e-girls hung out in Perth? Mm. Because by that logic, it didn't, you like went searching for it mm. and you fished in some ponds and then you caught the fish that you wanted. <clears throat> yeah. I guess by that logic, I could be wrong then because I didn't put a whole lot of effort into going, I'm going to go try and find this Eastern European oak girl. It's one of those things where I always, I always struggle, and you can obviously tell, I always struggle to explain it because I understand that there's this thing science can explain and then there's the, that weird gray area in between where no one can really explain it. And when sometimes when people try to explain it, you can find the, the holes in their logic as well. Um, it's the whole manifestation thing is something I have a intimate but curious, scientifically rigorous relationship with. Do you find it peculiar that you threw that thought into the ether with yep. quite a high elevated level of emotion and you really wanted it like you really wanted it (laughs) and you'd also to tie back in what we've already discussed you were also a completely different man Mm. to the man that you were when you'd met your ex-girlfriend you were 40 with 30 kilograms lighter about Mm. you were a lot more successful in business Mm -hmm. you had done a lot more inner work on yourself you had really started to have come into your own as a man Mm. and I think that those things definitely would have contributed to because, okay, I'll ask you this. Let's say that you put that thought into the ether, but you were still a hundred kilos plus and you hadn't worked out and you were still DJing Mm -hmm. and you hadn't worked out all of the things that you've worked out after going on that big journey of self-development to Mm -hmm. the man that you are. Mm -hmm. You could have then met Katie. Mm -hmm. And what do you think the outcome would have been had you not- yeah, it definitely, would have you been, are. it definitely wouldn't have been the same. I think the world, whatever you want to call the energy around the world, rewards the effort that you put into it, right? Like if you don't put any effort into yourself, you don't put any effort into other people, you don't put any effort into your fitness, you fuel your body with the wrong shit, you don't try and get more intelligent, you don't try and get in better shape. The world's going to be like, fuck this guy, I'm not giving him anything he wants, right? But if you put the energy out there, like, I'm trying to do this, it's really hard, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do this, I'm working on this, I'm working on this, I'm working on this. Whatever it is, I don't, I'm not particularly religious. There's a vein of spirituality in me, but something out there goes, all right, give this cunt what he wants. <laughs> Some of it. 
to a degree, right? There's definitely, I've, I've noticed that as well. Like you can call it luck, but it's just like, just work hard and then you'll find yourself feeling really lucky, right? All of a sudden, all the things you want start happening. People call it luck and all this shit, right? It's, <laughs> it's just, it's a weird relationship where if you just try and get better at stuff, you become remarkably more lucky. At least people will call it that. So by that logic, when we think about how much of a train wreck your life had become when you were overweight, when you mm. were abusing alcohol and you were on this path, getting up and being going from the couch to playing yep. the clubs and getting inebriated. Yep. Do you think that things were just out of control for you because yeah. you weren't in and that then, alignment? And then, and then you'd call on like, oh, I'm so unlucky. You know, nothing good happens to me. It's like, yeah, because you're a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> like, like, of course, that's why that happens. Of course, you're unlucky. You didn't even try. That's so, yeah, there's exactly like, like a correlation between those as well. So talk to me about the day that you met Katie. And specifically, I would like to know what you felt when you guys first started talking. Because from my perspective, mm. you've willed this into existence. Yep. Or you've at least willed the opportunity into existence. Yep. But you have, you would like, I, it's still <laughs> one of the most fascinating things. Uh, you, you're such a fascinating individual, Brandon. Not blowing, I genuinely mean that, not to blow smoke up your ass. I see you talk about things and then I see you with the power of your words, will them into existence. So I'm really curious as to, what was that internal dialogue in your head three months later after willing that, speaking that out loud in the car and then you meet Katie? What's that dialogue in your head like? Yeah, I remember it was like, ah, <laughs> I remember you talking about this to yourself and then and then talking to her. This is going to make, make me look bad as well though, but she had a boyfriend at the time that they were together with for like four years. And I started talking to her and I was just like, you picked the wrong one. I should be your boyfriend instead. It's bold. <laughs> <laughs> and then a, a couple- but you genuinely meant that. Yeah, I, I meant it. I was like, you picked the wrong one. You should be my like girlfriend instead. What made you say that? Because you're I was, bold. I was just sure. You just knew. I was just sure. <laughs> there's, there's, I, remember, I remember telling her in the car, I was like, I'm not certain about a lot of things, but I'm pretty certain about this one. And then what happened from that? Uh, she broke up with him the next day. I think that day, something like that. You ended a four-year relationship? Yeah. Because you were sure? I was just sure. <laughs> I'd say you were right. <laughs> you yeah, had a beautiful relationship with Katie. Uh, was it our two-year anniversary in December? been two years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, December's two-year anniversary. Let's talk about a bit more about manifestation. Mm. You said that, well, you create your own luck mm. uh, when you're doing the right thing and you're putting the energy in and the universe gives you back. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but the universe mm. gives you back what you put in. Mm. So what are other examples in your life when you think about it where you've had all these synchronicities come into place when you've been on the right path? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, the apartment I just bought on plan, I remember seeing the floor plan and I was like, you drew this in a journal two years ago. Um, and then I saw the Facebook ad for it Thursday. I went to the display home on Saturday and I put my deposit down and signed the contract on Wednesday. Um, and I was, there was, there was exactly zero uncertainty around it. Cause I was like, you drew this floor plan in a journal. That's probably sitting on my bookshelf would be sitting on my bookshelf somewhere two years ago, that one. Um, so there was certainty around that. 
Um, we just got a sign put up on our new office on Adelaide Terrace, like a big fuck off sign on the window. So anyone that drives down Adelaide Terrace sees the Where You logo. I remember writing that down in another journal when I was like journaling about what my business, what I wanted that to look like. I was like, I'm going to have an office in the middle of the city. I'm going to have a giant fucking sign on a, on a main road. I remember writing that. I could probably go find it now because all I keep all of my journals. That ad, that it's not a billboard. It's just a sign on the yep. side of his building. It is, it is huge. <laughs> and... <laughs> This is where the marketing nerd in me gets excited. So it's your your business's logo, yep. which is where you. And then there's a URL underneath it, which is window.whereyou.com.au. Yep. And was it 24 hours the sign had been up? And No, it was up for like an hour. And then someone made a call. <laughs> Tell that story. Like literally an hour. Like the, the sign went up, the logo and sign went up, what was it Monday? And then um, they were putting it up and then we all went out to lunch or something like that. And it, like they were putting it up in the morning, went out to lunch, came back and Tim sent a screenshot into the sales channels that the, well, the sign worked. And it was someone that made an inquiry saying, uh, we're the convenience store across the road. <laughs> Just so it would love to meet the owner. So I walked across the road, met him and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we have um, right now it just says window.whereyou.com.au. And if you go there, I think it just goes to one of our default funnels, but we're going to build a dedicated landing page for like, it will have a photo of that sign. So they say, oh yeah, I saw this ad and that's the landing page. There's a connection there. Like that. Um, and then it'll be something around like, would you rather be relying on online traffic rather than foot traffic? We do. <laughs> we, get, we get both. <laughs> that's clever. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a perfect segue into talking about where you, your business. <laughs> Uh, so three years ago, you started a digital marketing agency called Where You, and this financial year, you're on track to hit seven figures in top line revenue. So, from the many chats that I've had with your team intra agency, as well as concepts and content that I've watched, which are published by your agency from your With You, so your Done With You workshops, you and your team discuss the concept of tribalism. Mm. What is tribalism? Tribalism is essentially <clears throat> picking teams. Um, so the example that we give, that Nick gives, actually, he gives this section of the with the lecture. The example that Nick gives uh, of tribalism is, I think it's it's two bands. Oh, Nick's going to kill me because I forgot what the bands are. It's like the Beatles and someone else. They've they've had this long standing Beatles and Monkeys. Maybe I don't know. Um, these two bands that all the PR was that you had to be a fan of one or the other, but you cannot be a fan of both. And it, they like pitted them against each other. But the two bands are actually like really good friends and wrote some of each other's songs. But the PR company came up with this plan to make people pick a side. And then all of their merch sales went through the roof because you had to pick a team. And it's the same with like s- sports and things like that, right? It's just like, we we wear this uniform and you guys wear this uniform. We so don't we, like you because really, you're not wearing the same yeah, uniform as us. Yeah, it's probably manufactured by the same fucking retailer, but there's just a different set of colors and they don't get along anymore. And it's a really interesting tactic you can use to just like pit people against each other in your ads and things like that. There's plenty of different examples um, that not just we have done, but other companies and things have done. I'm interested in you, Brandon. So yeah. what a... I know you've got many. Yeah. What's what's one that comes to mind when you have pitted people oh, against man, each f- other for your own? Man, my favorite one is North the River versus South the River. I rinse that one at Arcade because obviously Arcade, nightclubs and Joondalup, for those that aren't in Perth, that's like north of the river. And then there's Metropolis Fremantle, which is South the River. I did both their socials. 
<laughs> and I live in East Perth, which is neither. <laughs> and, so, and so I was posting on the Arcade Nightclub page saying, fuck South River, North River for life. And I'm posting on the Metropolis Fremantle page saying, Fuck North, fuck North River, South River is best. Meanwhile, I'm sitting CBD. And, <laughs> <laughs> and like every single post just went off because like people are like, yeah, fuck my friend from South just River. Just puppeting the optics. Yeah, yeah, I found like any opportunity. I still rinsed it. Like um, even the very last post on the Arcade Nightclub page, I made when I was hungover after the closing the closing night, it was um, long live Arcade, long live Arcade, fuck South of the River. <laughs> Last ever post. <laughs> well, at least you're consistent. <laughs> so what about what about in terms of Okay, so you've marketing yourself, you've got a personal brand. How does one in any niche with personal brand, let's keep it as broad as possible, how does one leverage this concept of tribalism to create divisive content that forces people to pick a side? Sometimes you can just make up a boogeyman. So you can just make one up. So like I um I'll do it in our ads where I'll I'll call out like I won't call out a specific like marketing guru or something with like a nine hundred ninety seven dollar course, but I'll say the other guys that will sell you online courses and, and things like that, right? Um I don't I'm not specific about who it is. You could just fucking make up a boogeyman. They're like, yeah. Fuck that other person. I don't like what that sounds like. Therefore, I like your things because I, I have a binary sense of thought where to pick one or the other. I don't like the other one, so I'm just going to pick your one. The other one sounds awful. We're just going to pick yours. And is that a concept that you employ at where you yeah. to market your services? Yeah, we do that as well. Like fucking, I don't, I don't have TikTok on my phone, but there's <clears throat> actually like we get like TikTok in general, we get mostly fucking negative comments. But Nick's like, fucking hell, you really get roasted like on TikTok because this is a lot of people that just won't like me because they just don't like, I don't know, they don't like the cut of my jib, whatever, right? But then there's plenty of people that do like me. And so then people are just picking a side, right? Um, like I don't check the, I, <laughs> I'll tell you my story. I used to just check the comments of rats first thing in the morning and just roll the dice on how I'm going to feel that whole day. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I'm either going to feel like a god or I'm going to want to kill myself because they told me to. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. That's a dangerous game to play. That's a Especially for someone that won't check his aura sleep ring performance because he doesn't want it to subjectively affect how he feels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to check my sleep score, but I'm going to see if I'm going to love or hate myself yeah, today based on these TikTok this, comments. Yeah, I'm going to let this stranger pick up <laughs> today. But yeah, we definitely do that as well where we'll just like you know, call out. I do all like competitors. I'll do it with... Um, just other strategy. I'll make their competitor their own boogeyman, even though I'm not, I'm not even in the same fucking industry. Mm. Yeah. What about clients that you're working with? So how would you, how would you employ the concept of tribalism to make that binary us versus them? You'll love this one. So we have, we have one client that uh they sell like meat products for people that are like on the carnivore diet. Nice. We have an ad set that just targets vegans for engagement. <laughs> <laughs> and so for the I bet those comments go off, oh, dude. Bro, you should I bet your relevant score is through the so roof good. and the engagements are so cheap. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then all the 
carnivore That's people. That's so clever. All the carnivore people will argue with the with the vegan people and then just go, well, fuck it, I want to support these people and then buy their product. We do it in other industries That's where- amazing. Other industries you wouldn't even think of where like we have one which is like, they do like internet, like hotspots when the internet can absolutely not go down. Like it's, it's like $2,000 a day, this fucking giant box. And then, but- We'll like there'll be comments from regular people that are like, How is this so expensive? The my hotspot on my phone, and they don't get the tech. And then the tech nerds start arguing with them, like, You don't even understand this technology, and then they'll make an inquiry. It's just because it's like, Oh, I'm not on the idiot side, I'm on the tech. Like, it's like nerds versus jocks. So clever, yeah, that's brilliant. I love those examples. I just like confrontation on the internet, it's where I thrive. (laughs) And then, in terms of you being controversial, how do you stir the pot in your own content? Let's remove where you, let's talk yeah. about more Brandon Wilco, more Brandon Kilco, <laughs> Willington. What do you do from an organic and also paid content perspective to create that divisiveness and that tribal pick aside with people that know you or don't know you? I honestly don't do it as much as I used to just because I have other shit to do. <laughs> like, I noticed that. But yeah, I don't do it as much as I used to, but it used to be, I just... I just make statements where like, you're either going to fucking love this or you're going to unfriend me. Um, I'll just pick fights on the internet, usually with other nightclub owners. <laughs> I was drunk. That was a great example of one where I think some nightclub owner like made a post that was obviously directed at me, but he didn't tag me and then someone screenshot it and sent it to me. And so I posted that screenshot and said, tag me next time. And I tagged him. And then I just went off at him in the comments. Completely forgot because I was drunk in the back of an Uber. Woke up the next morning. I was like, what are all these notifications? Like 200 notifications. And I was just going to town on him for like like an hour. Just <laughs> like in the back of an Uber before I passed out in bed. I called him Plankton of North the River and called <laughs> myself SpongeBob. I told him to unblock me, pickle looking piece of shit. Stuff like that. And then, and then, and then people that didn't like the other guy were all on my side. <laughs> Which was actually everyone. So And that was when you were uh, running the marketing for arcade. Which Yeah, was it? I think it yeah, yeah, it was. Which would have been This was like 2018 or something like that. The guy fucking hated me. Yeah. Yeah, because you were taking his business. Yeah, he was yeah. trying to play your game and you yeah. <laughs> smacked yeah, out. Yeah, it's a bad game to play. <laughs> okay, I want to change change lanes from business. And as we alluded to at the start of this episode, you're about to uh knock someone unconscious on Saturday <laughs> night. This episode will be out after Brandon's fight, his debut boxing fight. And being a close friend of yours for some time now. I've observed that each year you'll set yourself a new physical challenge, lock in a date for the completion of that physical challenge and the completion of that goal. You will then proceed to make the journey as public and potentially humiliating (laughs) as possible, put the work in and then do it. Last year, for example, you did the bodybuilding competition and you placed second. And in two days time, you're about to step in the boxing ring to make that amateur debut High chance that you knock old mate out. Also <laughs> high chance that you get knocked out. Yeah, he's pretty good. And by your own admission, you hate the sport of boxing. Yeah. <laughs> Why put yourself through something that you hate? <clears throat> yeah, I know it's weird. Uh, you don't really learn anything about yourself when you just do things that you're comfortable with. You, you, you need like, like it was like I was saying earlier, like, you need to see where your mind goes when it gets uncomfortable because it will go to all the things that you're comfortable with and just avoid the thing it doesn't want to do. And so I can see there's a pretty absolutely direct correlation between like the uncomfortable things that I do within reason 
um, and how much I learn about myself. Um, and so that's, this is why I'm doing it. It's just, it's uncomfortable and it, it trains the other thing as well is it trains that like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway muscle, which is, you're just going to need to be good at that if you want to do anything valuable in life because all the valuable things in life are hard to attain. Therefore, you don't want to do them, right? So it trains that theoretical muscle as well. So that's just why I do it. You hate boxing? I don't. Actually, like now I've started to kind of like it. I actually quite like fighting now. <laughs> like like win or lose. Like, bro, they could throw me in there with like a dozen other people. I'll have more fun than all of them combined. <laughs> they could beat me to death. It's just like, I think I, I've, 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 my sports psychologist like reframed the whole thing. So now I'm far more playful when I fight rather than be like, oh, fuck, like jab and then la, la, la. I'm just fucking around. Like, it's just a, like, don't call it boxing. This thing's just going to be a brawl. <laughs> so what kind of unpredictable antics can we expect? Because I'm going to hold you to it because I'm going to be in charge of this edit. So mm. I would like you to make three predictions right yep. now as to what's going to happen at the Perth Corporate Rumble on Saturday night, which I'm going to be there in a suit, my Sunday best on, cheering you on. Yep. Three highlights from the match. I want to manifest them now. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what they will be. One of them is I'm bouncing off the ropes and landing a punch off of that. That's happening. Second one is a liver shot. That's going to fucking hurt. The third one is <laughs> it's literally... <laughs> so instead of fainting, I just do this thing now where I shout at them, put my hands down except for my right and just walk towards them like that. And then when their guard goes up, I go, Ugh, and I mock them. <laughs> Those three things are happening. Do you think you make him bleed? No, nah, I'll get a blood nose because one <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, nah, I don't I, I won't even I uh, this isn't getting posted to afterwards. I'm just going for the liver. I think it, there's there's a Nice poetic justice as well that I used to have liver support tablets and now I'm punching some dog in the liver. Like, that's going to be fun. It hurts too. It hurts a lot. It hurts way more than getting punched in the head when you've got head protective gear on. And in the training for this fight, you told me that you literally paid your coach, your boxing coach, to just hit you in the head for one session. Yeah, for like, yeah, like a couple of rounds. Why? Uh, because I needed to get over the fear of getting hit. And so he used to, um, I actually didn't know, I actually didn't pay him. He just did a free. <laughs> um, yeah, like the first round of sparring, Steve from Kickass used to fight in the UFC and he's like, Brand, I need you to get over the fear of getting hit. So I'm going to bash you. So I was like, okay. And he fucking did. <laughs> so it was just getting over that fear of getting hit. Are you afraid of getting hit anymore? No, fuck no. <laughs> uh, I've literally had rounds inspiring where I just put my guard down and let him hit him and I was just fucking yelling at him. Like, I quite like fighting now. It's fun. So how many rounds is Saturday going to be? It's just three two-minute rounds. It's just a six-minute brawl. Yeah. Do you think you win? Yeah. If I get the liver shot in, I'll win, yeah. Because that fucking hurts. So it hurts so bad. And it also, like, because it's corporate boxing, they just give it to the most aggressive person. And so I've, there's no points. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like there kind of is, but like if you try and like they they said like um they've had like boxes come through, but like they just give it to the person that doesn't step backwards. I haven't fucking stepped backwards in weeks. Except <laughs> when you're gonna bounce off the ropes and <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. That, that, I had to time that one as well. But that one's also I might not do a backwards step. I'm gonna do a side step so I can land a hook. Because nice. if I do it back, he can like punch me harder if he like lands it. Um, so it's probably going to be more of a sidestep. That one's hard to set up, but it's you can do it. Um, I believe in you. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking fun. Landed a couple of times inspiring too. The person's like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it's really funny too. Um, so you've been engaging in quite the 
amount of psychological warfare yeah. in the lead up to this fight. Yeah. Could you tell me <laughs> some of the things in which you've done to get inside your opponent's head? Yeah. Okay. So there's stuff I've been posting my close friend's story, which only my close friends are seeing, right? I'm not publishing everything on like the public thing as my profile is public. And so anyone can just check it at any point in time, look at my story and stuff like that. This stuff I did like, I knew in the lead up to the fight, whoever I was matched up with would check my Instagram profile. So I deliberately made sure that the most recent posts were the most like, not maybe not intimidating, but definitely like, fuck, Brand looks kind of big or something like that. Or, oh, I don't know, Brand looks pretty successful. Maybe he's got a better mindset, just stuff like that, right? Um, the other thing I did as well was in the, in the, what are they called? The face-offs. I brought him a gift bag and I had a box of Nurofen in there because- <laughs> <laughs> and because I knew he'd had to take it out of the box, there'd be a photo of him holding the box in Eurofin because I knew they'd be taking photos and shit like that. Do you have anything else planned to get inside of his head? We got two days to the fight. <laughs> Not really. I could, I could think of something to do with the weigh-ins tomorrow night. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. We, our whole, they don't know, but our whole team got matching robes. Oh, incredible. Yeah, like because we're the blue team. All got matching blue robes with our... Um, our fight names in the back. Someone says Kilco on the back. Um, so your whole team's going to roll, your team from your agency is going to roll in deep yep. to the Crown Casino on Saturday night and they're all going to be in matching attire to support. No, no, no. I mean um, like our fight team, like okay, blue team, like it. blue team versus red team. So we've all got like matching robes with hoods and shit like that. So that'll be cool. Um, what about your entrance? You put some effort into your entrance. Oh, yeah, shit, I forgot about that. Yeah, so <laughs> I have the most intimidating walkout music of all time. <laughs> so it's my fight name's Kilco. The walkout music is a mashup of the announcement from The Purge, which is, I don't know if you guys know that movie, the horror movie. Yeah, yeah. So I've got the purge, the purge siren, and then obviously because there used to be a danger. All crimes, including murder, will now be legal. Yep, that. Uh, got, may God have mercy on you all. <laughs> and then I've got, it's a mashup of the three songs that I listen to the most on a pre-workout high. So it's like the last, it's fucking loud too. So it's like the last ditch effort as I'm walking out to the ring to put me in that same like hyper aggressive fucking state of mind. So yeah, that's, it's honestly like the fucking scariest walkout music I've ever, like I did some research on some other ones. The only other one I can, I can match is Mike Tyson walked out to the sound of chains bashing on metal, which is just noise. You, don't, you can walk out with silence of Mike Tyson. It's scary, right? But True. That, yeah, that was a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to be waiting in the ring while that's playing and I'm walking out. Are you walking out second? I don't know. I, gotta, I was going to ask today. Hopefully, I'm walking out second. You should. Yeah. I think you he'll, should um, that he'll, he'll hear it either way anyway. Do you think he is underestimating you? Mm, I don't know. I haven't really talked to him a whole lot. It doesn't really matter. Like, it doesn't really matter who I'm fighting. Just fight. So, and knock him out. Yes, yeah, punch someone a little. I probably. Won't. I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's ever been knocked out. Like actually knocked out. It's all been like TKOs. But mm. like, I'll probably do a TKO from from the liver shot. That's, that fucking hurts. <laughs> like you, you, you're on your back foot once that lands. Like it fucking hurts. Like I made a grown man cry the other week when I landed one. How'd that feel? That was pretty funny. I, I gave him a hug afterwards. <laughs> so it was like, we're on the same team. I fucking landed it. I was like, shit, sorry, bro. I gave him a hug. <laughs> like, I'm a nice guy. Like, I'm a fucking, especially on the same team. <laughs> yeah, I made a fucking grown man cry from a liver shot. <laughs> what does it feel like when you're in the ring mm. and like you're 
one, trying to inflict damage and two, trying not to have damage inflicted upon you. What type of part of your brain does that tap into? Does your thinking logic brain just turn off and does your reptilian brain <coughs> just take over? Yeah, no, it used to be that my thinking brain was too active. Um, I've been learning, got working through this with my sports psychologist, so it's interesting you bringing all of this up. I was just overthinking it too much before and then I'd be too anxious and I was too attached to the outcome, which is fuck, I might lose, whereas I wasn't focused on the process, which is what's the next punch or what's the next step and things like that. Um, and so what you would need to be able to do is like trigger yourself to go from your thinking brain to your being brain, like I was talking before, so you can unlock that extra processing power. And so there's resets you can do, which are like physical, like for example, like if you just pinch yourself really, really, really fucking hard, it's a trigger or a reset to go from your thinking brain to your being brain. So the stuff I do, like you'll see me punch myself in the head a couple of times and yell and make like a stupid chicken sound in the middle of the ring because it's all you can think about. Um, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's going to be ridiculous. Like I'm going to make like Minecraft villager noises when I punch him and shit. It's fucking hilarious. Um, it's just going to be absurd. And then he's going to be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then it just gets in his own head and he can't think about what he has to do next. And there's, there's that element as well. Um, but right now, like when I fight, it's it's far more like playful, which is like a step before flow. And so I'm just I'm just fucking around. Like it doesn't look like a fight. It looks like I'm fucking trying to embarrass this dude. <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah. It's very exciting. So after the fight, what's Brandon doing? Probably going to bed. No, like, um, yeah, I don't know even know what time it finishes, but like there's obviously the whole after party and stuff like that. So that I was, I was, Katie was like, should we get a room? I'm like, no, I don't want to fucking, I live five minutes away. What's the point? <laughs> it's a long nap. Yeah. I was going to have a long nap. Yeah. And then do you keep boxing after this fight or is yeah, that, I'm gonna do that chest boxing. this Brent? I'm going to do chest boxing. I know what chest boxing is, but yeah. for everyone playing at home that has no idea what you're talking about. It's fairly self-explanatory. It's in the name, but like, you know, 11 rounds and it's like, you do four minutes of chess and then a round of boxing and then four, and then you start and end with chess and it's either win by knockout or, or checkmate first. And so you have this weird, like complete switch from like extreme physical to extreme mental and the absurdity of it all just, I find hilarious. And so the novelty of mixing chess, which I'm trying to get better at and boxing out, which I quite enjoy fighting, the novelty of bringing the two together would be entertaining for me. I think it'd be entertaining to watch as well. <laughs> and I think perfect segue into my next question. You're passionate about education mm. and doesn't matter whether it's your own education or the education of others mm -hmm. or the education system itself. Mm -hmm. Early this year, we played a number of chess games together yeah. where you destroyed me <laughs> three consecutive games in a row. This ignited my own competitive spirit. <laughs> And I took it upon myself to play at least 20 minutes of chess a day for the following months. I was then away in the US and I was basically playing sometimes up to an hour a day. When I returned to Perth, we had a rematch and I came really close to being <laughs> like really close. And no joke to everyone listening, the following day, like literally like I came this close to beating Brandon. I thought I had him and then he like smoked me. But the following day, you had found yourself a chess expert and hired them as your personal coach. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, I think there's already people out there with the answers. And so you're kind of just like taking the long process by trying to work things out. Like someone's already gotten from point A to point B. They probably did it the long way. And so like if you were to rebuild, I don't know, your business or things now, like 
you have the power of retrospect, which is, don't worry about that. That doesn't actually matter. You can actually do this bit fast if you just do this. And so really all I'm paying for is the person's already done this a long way. Just give me the shortcut. I'm really just paying for their retrospect, right? Because their hindsight's 2020, whereas I'm like, I reckon we go this way. It'd be fucking wrong. And then you waste that time. And so whenever I'm trying to like learn something new or I'm curious about something, I just try and speed run the whole process by going, who already has the answers? Can I just copy your homework and just do it that way? I like that. Can I just copy your homework? Yeah. It's so true as well because one of the many things that I find so fascinating about you, Brandon, is when you set yourself out to accomplish a new thing or achieve a new goal, the speed in which it takes you to get from point A to point B just completely trumps anyone else that I could pin against you, including myself, in the achievement of that goal. And I think a lot of it, it has to do with the, can I copy your homework? Can I get a coach or a mentor to help me along this process to pay them for the hindsight in which they have been able to acquire by doing it the hard way and the yeah. long way. The other the other thing as well is, it's funny, but it's actually naivety. So for example, when I entered the bodybuilding competition, I wasn't a bodybuilder. I actually didn't know what was reasonable. And so I was 20%, yeah, 20 or 21% body fat, 18 weeks out. And then- got down to what was it like six or something, which is absurd, like actually ridiculous. But I only know that now. And I actually didn't know. Yeah, I actually didn't actually, I was just like, oh, I just need to lose like a kilo of fat a week. Okay, like well, I just eat this much and train this much. I just didn't know. Maybe a 7,000 calorie deficit a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, this is the thing you got to do. And then I remember like two or three weeks out, I was at like the posing classes with like the other guys were in way better shape than me. And then they were like, oh, oh what a division are you in? I said, first timers. And then I, I just like mentioned, I was like, yeah, I was like 20% body fat 18 weeks ago. And they were all like, what? They're like, bro, we wouldn't even try unless we were like 10 with that kind of notice. And I was like, huh. And it's just because they're in an ecosystem where they had all their beliefs set on them by the circles that they were in, other bodybuilders. I wasn't in the same circle, so I just didn't know. <laughs> That's just that naivety as well. Why do you think coaches and mentors are important, not just for yourself, but for anyone listening? Mostly perspective. Because like when you're when you're too stuck in the weeds, you're like staring down at the page or you're staring at your screen or you're staring at your goal. I always give the example like, dude, Mike Tyson had a coach. I think he Mike Tyson could beat him up though. Why does Mike Tyson have a coach? It's because the other guy's standing outside the ring. He's not like in the moment, in the heat of the moment. He's not worried about this, that, or the other in the heat of the moment. He's just standing as a spectator and can see things that you can't see because he's in third person, you're in first, right? Um, that's really the, the main benefit of coaches is they're not as attached to the situation either. They're not as emotionally involved as you are and your emotions can screw up all of your thinking. They're, they're, because they're a lot more detached, they're a lot more logical. That's why when you write down your thoughts and your feelings on pages, like when you're journaling, you can look them more logically because you have that detachment of the third person instead of the first. So I think that's the main bit. Like I have fucking coaches for everything. There's like five people getting me ready for this fight. It's like, it's like I'm a sports psychologist. I got a strength and conditioning coach. I got one boxing coach. I got another boxing coach. I got another one. It's, it's just like there's zero things left I can do to try and win this fight. Right. Even if I lose, I'm like, that's literally everything you could have done. The other guy was a better fighter. And that's, that's not just to this fight. That is representative this boxing fight for Brandon and the way in which he's gone about preparing for it is nothing but merely a microcosm for how Brandon approaches everything in his life. It was the same with your bodybuilding last yeah. year. And it's the same with your business. It's the same with your own personal development. Yeah. And I literally do not know 
anyone else in my life that spends as much money on education, coaches, and mentors as what you do yeah. each year. Mm. How much do you think you spend? Like this year. Like average it out over a month. Over a month? I couldn't average it out over a month. Like, well, go, go the year. In a year, I'd probably spend like 60, 70, $80,000, something like that. This is someone that dropped out of university <laughs> because he didn't see the value in what he was being taught. <laughs> and now he spends three to four times the amount of his entire degree in coaches, education, and mentoring yeah. a year. Mm. Yeah. There's always a direct, like my parents talk to me about it. Mom's like, how do you spend all this much money on courses and education? I'm like, cause there's like literally like a direct correlation. Like I did this sales course and now we doubled our sales. We're sweet there. Like, like it's just line sure, goes no, up. Surely Brandon it had nothing to do with you taking that course. Surely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, there's like zero examples where I've like done a course or a program or like had a coach and didn't get better at the thing. There's no examples. I can't think of any. And part of that's also is like, I'm good at screening the good ones and the shit ones and the scam ones and all that stuff. But it's just like, if you want to get better at the thing, someone's already better at that thing. So just pay him to give you the answer so you can get there faster. Otherwise you've got the opportunity cost of taking longer to get there and you're probably make a bunch of expensive mistakes on the way there. And so you either pay you, you either pay the expense of paying the person or just paying it yourself because you just fucked it up a bunch of times. <laughs> just do the thing. <laughs> Which coach of yours do you think has had the most profound impact on you? Probably Rhett. Yeah, definitely Rhett. Rhett Coots. Yeah, Rhett, because Rhett opened up my eyes like the whole, because I came into the thing like, I don't even know what spirituality is, Rhett. Like, I need you to explain that to me. And he explained to me for like an hour. I was like, oh, my shit. Yeah, this sounds really, really interesting. Can you explain to everyone who Red is? Yeah, so Rhett, <coughs> Rhett Coots from United Mind. Uh, used to be personal trainer and like, I think head of sales as well for Sam Ovens. And he had a, he has a coaching program called- um, He was Not Sam Ovens' personal performance coach, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam Ovens of consulting.com. So if you're older, been around the tracks for a while, yeah. Sam Ovens was uh, the man- yeah. Uh, about seven to eight years ago in the consulting space. Like he literally owned the domain consulting.com. Yeah. Yeah. And so- And um, Rhett was Sam's personal performance coach. Yep. Lived with him and everything like that. And then I still followed Rhett on Instagram because I thought his stuff was really interesting. And then he posted a link to his like coaching program application, did the application, came in. But I came in with the thought of like, I want to like know what I need to eat and how to sleep better and stuff like that. And then really what he opened his eye my eyes up to was it's not just about the essentially like surface level solutions of like eat this, do this. It's, he opened it up to like purpose and drive and spirituality and actually figuring out what you meant to do with your life and aligning your energy with all that. Um, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, Focusing on obviously sleep and all that stuff has, plays an important role, but if it's not underpinned by you wanting to do the thing that you actually want to do with your life, everything else just falls apart. None of the other perfect stuff matters, example right? is to when you were your mixtapes been picked up by Skrillex. Yep. Uh, you're playing all these huge shows. You booked a tour. Mm. Things are all going on the surface, like amazing for you, but yep. on the inside, you're just suffering, sad, and just beyond caring about what you're doing because yeah. you weren't aligned with your purpose. And then surprise, surprise, yeah. everything fell apart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just didn't give a shit about it. Um, yeah, so yeah, Rhett opened up my eyes to the whole spirituality kind of world and, and energy and, and that whole kind of umbrella of topics. Um, yeah. What does spirituality mean to you? 
Someone read about this the other day because I was, I, I still, I still sometimes struggle to come up with a definition. And I was talking to Red about it on like one of our coaching calls the other week. And I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. It's, it's, for me, if I was to summarize, it's just about the energy that you use and what you're actually pointing at, right? And so you're either going to feel like you're out of energy because you're pointing yourself in the wrong direction with the wrong purpose, or you're full of energy and full of life because you're directly doing the things that you really want to be doing, not just in work, but in relationships and family and friends and business and fitness and food, all that stuff. You're just doing the thing that you know that you're meant to do. And so you're just full of energy in that sense. When do you feel the most full of energy? You're not building things. Yeah. So it could either be like a macro level or a micro level. So it could be like I'm building a landing page that I'm really, really excited about because I'm going to launch this thing. Or it could be at a macro level. It's like, oh, cool. Like now we're building like a sales team or a team in Melbourne and things like that. Just just building and creating things, which in itself is kind of like a spiritual track because it's like creation basically. Um, it's Genesis, right? Yeah, it's essentially to a degree. That's, that's, that's what it at least feels like anyway. Um, yeah, so for me, it's definitely building things. I've noticed that whenever I'm building or creating things, I'm like, oh, this is really exciting. That's why I won't like go to sleep at night because I'm just building this thing with too much energy. I can't sleep. How? How can I possibly sleep? <laughs> That's one thing I've always never understood about you. It's I get the end to the end of the day and I'm quite as a ex insomniac. I'm religious about my sleep and my sleep hygiene because I never want to go back to not being able to sleep. I'll go to sleep at nine o'clock, be in bed for 10 hours and wake up and then I try not to. I try to fast from my phone in the mornings because that's the devil. And uh, when I eventually check my phone after about nine o'clock, I open up in Brandon's Instagram story. He's always one of the first people that pops up. <laughs> big fan, big fan. <laughs> and this motherfucker has been up all night <laughs> building some shit. And I'm like, bro, have you slept? Like, and also how? And then he's like uploading stories all day and you're like with the team on this sales call, bullying this person online. <laughs> then you're off to boxing training. I'm like, brother, you've probably slept for like two and a half hours and you got a fight next week. Like, how are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. because energy- And he's not on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, cause all of that energy, it's like, I think people, I, I was thinking about this the other day. People say they don't have time. You'll have the fucking time if you have the energy to do it right. Because people will go, oh, I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the time to do that. I'm like, show me your calendar. Show me it. And and then firstly, the calendar is empty because I don't need the calendar. Secondly, when we actually do, when we actually, <laughs> so true. When, when we actually do populate the calendar, I'm like, that spot, that spot, and that spot. They're like, well, when am I going to get time to rest? I'm like, why do you need a rest? If you really cared about this thing, you'd have the energy to do it, right? Obviously- I've got the we've got the caveat. There's like burnout and things like that too. But I don't think you're going to burn out if you're pointing yourself at a thing that you really, 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 really want to do. Do you believe burnout exists? It does, and it does, and the reason the reason it exists is people point themselves at things they don't really care about, or that they're just really genuinely, intimately, intrinsically exhausted of. They just don't want to do it anymore. Like people get burnt out in businesses because they don't like either the business that they're doing or the stage of business that they're at. But if you're just like constantly building a thing, like everything you know is exciting, how could you burn out? You want to do the thing, right? So do you think that burnout is less about having the time to invest in whatever it is that you're building or working on and more about are you actually aligned with the thing that you're creating? Yeah, exactly. It's like alignment and purpose, right? Like if you're perfectly aligned with the purpose and this thing that you're doing is aligned with that purpose and you're 100% certain about that with zero doubt, 
How can you possibly burn out? You want to keep doing this thing. But if you're just like, fucking hell, I've got to do this thing. Well, if you're saying, I get to do this thing, fucking you're never going to get burnt out. You're like, I have to do this thing. All of your, like your internal monologues are slamming on the handbrakes. You don't want to do this thing. And so the resistance is too high. If you take the handbrakes off and it's because you line yourself with the right purpose, there's no resistance. Just, how can you burn out? You made an interesting nod to positive affirmations and positive psychology in terms of your verbiage just then. Mm. You used, I get to do this versus not, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Why? Yeah, so I'm always careful with trying to analyze my own words. Because um, usually the, the, the words will obviously just reflect your own thoughts and your thoughts will reflect your own beliefs. And so if you catch yourself saying things that are like, oh, why did I say that? Then there's probably something you need to unpack there. So if you're saying, I have to go to work, it's like, hmm, get to go to work. That would be a better use of your language. Um, other examples is because you can use your language to spot your own limiting beliefs. And so for the example I always give is like, if I was just to say like, oh, you, Brandon, you have to be overweight because all most of the males on your dad's side of the family have been overweight, it's just genetic. But then there's nothing you can do about that. And so if you like spot that, you're like, okay, well, how does that serve you though? Because now you can't do anything about it, right? And so you lose all of your power. And so if you can reframe that thought to something you can actually do about it, then it's much more empowering because you're not just like, oh, I was the victim of genetics or something like that, right? So what do you think is a powerful verbiage that you, beyond the have and get, that you use to positive, positively reframe things in your day-to-day -day life or to trick yourself into doing something that you know needs to be done but you don't really feel like doing it. I think about it. I don't have any particular like go-to little hacks and tricks and and changes and lingo. Mainly, the main tool that I use is just spotting them first, right? What do you mean? As in like spotting, like if I say like I have to go to work, I'll just spot that. I'm like, okay, cool. There's something there. There's something on your calendar you don't want to do today. So practicing that self-awareness. Yeah, it's more of practicing self-awareness rather than trying to like pep talk yourself into doing something. You journal mm. and journaling helps facilitate the self-awareness mm. and by extension that helps you spot the areas in which your speech and your mind are playing games for yourself. Mm. Talk to me about your journaling habit. Mm. What does that look like? It's quite simple. I think um, I don't like to make it over complicated because then every single little thing you add like adds a little layer of resistance. Like if you had to like like the bullet journal is actually a really great example. The bullet journal got really popular because it was just, they, they basically just rebranded lines and just gave you all these dots, right? Um, but if you had to keep drawing out your bullet journal, your format every single day, it's just like eventually you're going to get a day where the resistance is too high and you can't be bothered getting a roller out. You can't be bothered formatting your page. So mine's really simple. On the left, to-do list. On the right, notes and thoughts. And your work journal and your personal journal is the same thing? Same thing. Yeah. So, so say again. So in the left? Left, left page, to-do list. Just a bunch of things I got to do or remember. Right page is just says notes and thoughts. And so other things I've just got like remember or I was like, oh, that was interesting how you caught that before. And then what I'll do is at the end of the journal, so I don't like just have these thoughts that become nothing. I'll go back through the journal with a highlighter and just highlight the main thoughts. I was like, ah, oh, that was interesting that you spotted that. Interesting that you spotted that. It's really quite simple. And then you will then summarize that into kind of like a – yeah, back page. Mission will, Digest. Yeah, the back page will used to be like a summary of like, this is what you learn. This is what you should do for this next journal. Um, the other thing as well is because it is so open format, it means that I'm not restricted to 
because there's no restrictions, I can't avoid things. And so if if it's like a choose your own choose your own journey thing. If you do the choose your own journey thing, you're still like if if I journal this, then I had to do this next, and I had to do this next. But then there might be stuff over here that you're avoiding because of this. If this, then that rule that you pocketed yourself into because of how you bulleted your journal. So I just like an open page because then it can just be anything. And then it can just be why, why, why yeah. Then it could be why, why, why. It could be something else. It could be like every single notes and thoughts page is entirely fucking different. Sometimes I have diagrams. Sometimes there's nothing there. Um, sometimes I'm like deconstructing stuff. Be anything. There's there's no like prompts. Yeah. I have two main questions left for you, and then we're going to wrap this up. Sure. Given your passion for education, I'd like your opinion on the following statement. The modern education system, from early learning to primary to high school to university, has been systematically designed to indoctrinate society into a life of being conditioned as a worker drone, and has been done so to keep us disconnected from each other, nature, and our spiritual existence. Yes. There's definitely a lot of things that the modern education system doesn't touch on that would vastly benefit everyone. Um, and I think the major, the major issue with it is essentially a, it's actually an economics issue because there's only so many people that want to be teachers and there's so many people that need to be taught. And so they just get less funding, right? Um, so, and the other thing as well is we're, we're kind of too far gone, like to reinvent the entire education system. That's a fucking monumental task. And there's also not a whole lot of financial incentive to do it either. And I like capitalism, but we live in a capitalistic society. The, the money talks and if there's no financial incentive to do it, then just no one's going to do it, right? That's why every now and then you, you'll see these, um, I nearly started one, <laughs> you'll see these like schools pop up that te teach you like real life skills and things like that, which are really, really useful. Maybe the capitalism will solve that with these, these schools that pop up. Um, but unfortunately, the, I, I, have this, um, I have this saying, you want to kill the dragon while it's still a baby. It's too big now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you had the power to replace alcohol as the most commonly accepted or normalized drug of choice in the West with any other drug of your choosing, what would it be and why? Like illegal or legal? Any drug, any substance. So let's just play pretend. Yeah. Society is being formulated mm -hmm. hundreds of years ago. Obviously, alcohol is quite prolific in terms yeah. of its in inclusion in uh, Catholicism, Christianity, and scripture. Yeah. Let's pretend Jesus didn't turn water into wine. Let's pretend that Jesus turned water into X yeah. and it could be any drug or substance. <laughs> what would it be? Probably be a psychedelic. Probably be something like mushrooms. Why? So people can be more connected to their spirituality. Alcohol is a, <laughs> alcohol is a dark drug. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas um, mushrooms really kind of opens up your eyes. Um, yeah, if I was to pick one, it probably would be that. That or something like, I actually don't like weed, but probably something like that. Yeah. What do you think the world that we live in would be like if Jesus turned water into mushrooms? <laughs> It'd be interesting. Hmm. What would it be like? I don't know. I think... Um, well, if you look at economies, there'd be a lot less nightlife. Um, 
I'm, I'm curious about how uh, social interaction would change because a lot of social interaction is um, predicated on the consumption of alcohol. Yeah, we're going to the bar and drinking and things like that. I wonder what we'd do because I don't think it'd be mushroom trips because <laughs> you can't really socialize too much. Depends what you like. Um, yeah, I'm curious what the. Um, yeah, I'd like to. I'd really like to know what the social, the, the normal social thing would be. Be interesting to check what other countries do that where where alcohol consumption isn't as high. I can't think of any. The east, I'd say. Yeah. Now speaking oh, yeah. outside my wheelhouse, but oh, yeah. Dubai. Yep. I think yeah. uh, a lot oh, yeah, of right. uh, yeah, countries yeah. that um, isn't alcohol. Uh, it's not allowed in Islam. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, whatever they do, that's probably what we're going to be doing for socialize. So five quick fire questions to wrap up today's session. Sure. And I just want the first thing that comes to your mind. And if you feel like elaborating, go ahead and elaborate. <laughs> What's one thing that you think we've all been lied about by society? Government's being in control. Government's You're, not in control. I, I like saying they're in a two-party dictatorship. <laughs> yep. Why? Pick one or the other. It's just the money that talks at the end. So by that extension, you don't believe that the government really makes the decision. You think nah. it's the people that control the corporations that have the money yep. that elect the puppets to do their bidding for them yep. to masquerade around with yep. the guise of democracy. But realistically, it's a corporate dictatorship. Yep. What do you want your legacy to be? That I was helpful in, in teaching other people and that I was both a teacher and a, and a student forever. Beautiful. On your tombstone, what will your avatar read? Took you long enough. <laughs> what do you believe the purpose of your existence is? Teach and be taught. What is the most mind-bending, reality-questioning thing that has happened to you during a meditation? I figured out how to send shivers down my entire body with like one statement and I couldn't understand why it wouldn't work with other statements, but I could do it with this one. What was that statement? I won't say it. Okay. <laughs> that was during a Wim Hof meditation, wasn't it? Uh, it was in a float tank. Yeah. Where can people learn more about you? Just follow me on Instagram. It's all there. <laughs> you can learn a lot about me from my Instagram. Wilco Only Child yeah. on Instagram. How do you spell it? It's like Wilco, W-I-L-L-C-O dot N-L-Y child. Brandon, thank you so much for being on this pilot episode. I appreciate you. <laughs> and I look forward to you. What? No, I forget his name. Kai? Someone up. I look forward to you watching. Watching. <laughs> I look forward to you knocking Kai unconscious <laughs> on Saturday. Thanks very much, Brandon. Awesome. Appreciate you. Cheers.